may have missed this, but if you haven't been, then you're likely aware that, yes, the queen passed away at the age of 96 after serving for 70 years as the head of the monarchy. And within seconds of the announcement of the queen's passing, what began to absolutely flood Twitter feeds and social media and news articles were these thoughts. These thoughts that world leaders, including our own, were sending to the royal family. So can I ask you another question, church, this morning as we begin? Does me telling you my thoughts bring you comfort? Like, how does that actually work? Like, like do I just give you my thought? Like, what if I actually did that? Like, what if I actually gave you my thought and said, Kent, can you read that for me? Sure. I really could go for a cup of coffee right now. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, so we're tracking here. Okay, Lyle, can you read my thoughts? <laughs> my fingers are working. If the tomato was a fruit... Then is ketchup the jam? Well, that's a good question. Roger, Shirley, how about you? Shirley, could you read that for me? If I get it open. My folding job, I'm sorry. Humans invented the sounds produced by dinosaurs. There you go. You ever thought about that before? All right. Cecil, how about you cowering over here? (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm hurrying now. Surely I'm having the same problem. Okay, here we go. There you go. I got this. Wow, this is hard. I have more thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Br- hmm. Brushing your teeth is the, is the only time you clean your skeleton? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, those are just a few of my thoughts. I'm just curious this morning, church, did that bring any of you comfort? Probably not. Disturbed more of you than anything. And it just got me thinking this whole idea. And I have more. You know what? You don't even want to, you don't want to know what's in my head. But this whole idea of sharing my thoughts with you, I don't think it brought you a lot of comfort. It may have created some more questions. Uh, You may be curious about why I even wanted to do that. But I just had this kind of thought over the week that, That this is, I think, when we look at the world, when we look at culture, this is how we react in times of crisis. And this is the model that our culture kind of puts out there as their way of caring. And I want to look at that a little bit deeper this morning. I want to talk about this idea of how do we live out our lives as followers of Jesus and how do we care for others. So pray with me, church. Jesus, thank you that your love remains, that you are faithful yesterday, today, and always, and that you love us, and that you care for us. And I pray as we spend time in your word, Lord, this morning, that we would understand what does that look like for us here this morning. How do we love? How do we care? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as we get going this morning, there are notes, uh, bulletin notes. If you came in this morning and grabbed a bulletin, just another way of you being able to engage with the content as we get going here this morning. But this first point I want us to look at is what care isn't. Because before we get into what care is, I want to lay a few things out here and wrestle with some thoughts that I'm having about what care isn't. Because as we come to such a sensitive topic like this, I think we all sometimes bring in some preconceived notions and ideas of what care is and what care isn't. And this morning where I want us to go is I want to begin looking in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. So if you've got your Bible apps, your Bibles, get there. We'll talk about it in just a second. You see, last Sunday, Gary talked to us about this word. He gave us this word, abide. Now, this isn't a word that if you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s or any kind of in that demographic, it's not a word we use a lot. But it's a good word. It's an important word. And it's a word, I think, as the Lord has laid it on Gary's heart, for us, that is our theme this year. We're going to be looking at that idea of what does it mean to abide over the course of this next little while. But if you look at 1 John Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says this, and you can read along in your Bibles. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. You see, what John is wrestling with here is how can anyone claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet there's no outward expression of this inward reality? That there's no visible manifestation of what we're professing to live and to believe inside of us. And then a few chapters later in 1 John 4, 19, we read this. He says, we love because he first loved us. I want to park those verses. We're going to get back to those in just a little bit this morning. But think on those and, and kind of spend some time. Put a bookmark there if you haven't. And we're going to get back there in just a little bit. Because when we look at this idea of care and how we care for others, I want to break it down into three parts this morning. And the first one is this, church. Care isn't easy. I think we can all agree that care isn't easy. Caring for others is not always an easy thing for us to do. And I'm not talking about when your little kid runs up to you because they scrape their knee on the playground and they're crying and they usually, you know, run up to mommy and mommy kisses the boo-boo, puts a Spider-Man band-aid on, and then life is good. It's not a bad thing to do. But when we really need to care for others, it is not always an easy thing. Because what we have to do is we have to put aside our own selfish desires, our own agendas, our own timelines, our own interests, and we have to put others first. And Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans 12.10, where he says, Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. You see, for human nature, our default reaction so many times is to put me first, rather than others first. But to genuinely care for someone takes us out of our comfort zone and puts us in a position where we have to put others first. Their needs, their story, their situation above ourselves. 
And sometimes that puts us, church, in an uncomfortable position. It puts us in a moment where we haven't experienced this before, and so we feel at a disadvantage. We feel that we're, we're incapacitated to be able to come alongside this person in whatever it is that they are experiencing. And that's okay. And you know why? Because look what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I'll park there. Here's an aside. I don't know about you, uh, but the very first Bible I got when I became a Christian at 16, my mom took me down to the Christian store just the next town over. Uh, we were too pagan to have a Christian store, apparently. And, uh, and so we went to the, the Christian store, and I got a Bible. And that Bible, when you opened the New Testament, had red letters. Many of you have Bibles with red letters. I miss that in a lot of the new Bibles being produced and in the Bible app. Because what the red letters signify are the words of Jesus. So when you see the red letters in your Bible, you see the words of Jesus. And here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, in my original Bible that I got, the letters are red. This is what Jesus says about times when we feel overwhelmed in situations where we have got to care for others. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. These are Jesus' words. And I love that about red-letter Bibles, that you know when Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking here to us right now. And so, yeah, the reality is we will not have enough strength. We will not have enough charisma. We will not have enough capacity. And that's because Jesus says, I'm enough. We sang that. We've declared that. You're more than enough. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I'm more than enough for you in these moments where everything feels overwhelming, but yet you need to lean in to the situation at hand. I'm more than enough. The second thing that care isn't is that care isn't quick. Church, let me be honest. There are some things in life that just don't come quickly. Like a Vancouver Canucks Stanley Cup. I feel that deeply in my life. You're laughing at me, but that's okay. Jesus is enough. No. But the reality is, is that there are moments in our lives where we recognize that some things don't come quickly. There's this biblical word for the word long-suffering. It's makrothumia. And oftentimes in our Bibles, in the fruit of the Spirit, that's what is translated in Galatians 5.22 as patience. Because care isn't quick. Rather, what it is, is a ministry of presence, of being with Pastor and author Tim Chalice says it this way. He says, the ministry of presence is the ministry of being there, of simply gathering with. This may seem like a little thing, but it matters. It matters a lot. Because there will be many times in our journey of discipleship where we must enter into others' lives where they are suffering, where they are hurting, where they are broken, and there are many times where I'm sure you have felt it, because I sure have, words aren't there. I don't feel like I have anything to offer that person in that moment, because I've never walked in their shoes, I've never experienced that hurt, I've never felt that pain, but what we can do is we have the ministry of presence. 
because the Holy Spirit is within us. And so when we walk into a room, when we walk into anywhere, we come with the presence of God. In those moments where words fail you, Christ's presence is with you. God has created us for community. And in those moments, we recognize what Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, I think it's a sobering reminder of what the Apostle Paul is saying again as to what it looks like, church, to care for each other. That we are present with, close to, and a part of their journey of care. And never forgetting all the while that he is present with us. And then the final thing that care isn't this morning, church, is care isn't an option. This phrase, one another, if you read through the Bible, appears this word alelon in the Greek that talks about one another and each other and mutuality and reciprocally. I can barely say that word. It rhymes with broccoli. Uh, it occurs a hundred times, a hundred times in the New Testament alone, and 59 of these occur specifically as to teach us how and how not to relate to one another. Scripture speaks deeply and significantly about this idea of community, about one another, about being with this presence, this ministry of presence. And so church, if we believe that the church is a body, then we care for it as I would pray the way we care for our own bodies. Okay, this might be a bit of a window into my marriage and into my life, uh, so get ready. I asked Charity for permission, so here we go. She's good. She's not here, but she gave me permission. So we have this thing that we love to watch. Uh, there are a couple of shows. They're kind of in the medical world. Uh, one of them is Dr. Pimple Popper, uh, and one of them is My Feet Are Killing Me. And you're like, what? Grace. Just grace, okay? Grace, thank you. They're fascinating. I don't know if you watch them, and none of you are admitting to watching these now. That's fine. That's okay. But they're fascinating shows about the medical community and about just the beauty of medicine. Those of you in this world, you are an incredible person. And this is an amazing opportunity to watch these shows. And what's interesting, though, and the analogy I want to give us is this. Many of these procedures, many of these shows and what they're following and these people are experiencing the fallout and the inattentiveness to the illness. And so what they're having to do now is a result of a long period of neglecting to care for themselves. And what the scriptures tell us is that we're to be with one another, actively, proactively caring for one another, rather than us kind of in our lives being like, hmm, that's a weird lump. That'll probably just go away. I don't know how many of you feel that, how many of you have done that, but right, you're like, that'll go away. That'll be fine. What happens? It doesn't go away. Maybe this is just a guy thing, but I will confess I've been there before, right? No, we need to be attentive to what our body is saying. We need to be attentive to the care of our body, just like we need to be attentive to the care of the body. This, the church that we can't just think that, you know what, that'll disappear, that'll go away, I can just ignore that. No, we need to care. Otherwise, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. 
Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. And then Paul continues this analogy of the body in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, and I want to read this for you this morning. It's a longer passage, but it's important for us to understand the heart of God for what it means this morning, church, to be the body. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's good. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Three cheers for the appendix. And the parts of the unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be here at his church no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, what Paul is saying, what the word is saying here to us is that we are indispensable from one another. We are connected to each other. We work together as the body to fulfill the purposes and plans that God has for us, his bride, the church. And so we come together we understand what it means to love and to care and to be connected. But our culture says otherwise. The current of our culture says what you need to do more than anything else is to look out for number one. Our secular culture, our, our humanistic tendencies in our culture is to say what you need to do more than anything else is look out for yourself. Care for yourself. Watch out for anything else that may speak less to who you are as an individual. But what the scriptures say are completely countercultural. They have been since they were first penned. That what we are to do is to die to ourselves, it says, and to honor others in a greater capacity. And that's why we've been working as an elders group towards this new idea, this new model that I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning. If that term elders is new to you, what elders are, are women and men who are appointed, who are believed by the church to say, we see in you this great capacity to care, to come alongside, to love, and to meet you where you are at. That's why we have them there for prayer. That's why they're available to pray with you, to connect with you, to meet you where you are at in your life. And so that is the role of an elder. And as we look at this new idea, we're not going away from what we see in Scripture and Titus and Timothy and, and other Scriptures that speak to the role of elders. But what we are looking to do, and Gary's going to launch us into this next Sunday in this sermon series on gift-based leadership. 
And what we desire of our elders is to be able to see them, and really all of us, this doesn't just apply to them, live out our lives understanding the gifts that the Spirit has given us. And so that begs us to ask a question this morning. How do we care for one another? How is it, church, that we care for one another? And so there's an image on the screen. This is a conceptualization of this model that I've been working through with our elders and team. And what I wanted us to just talk about briefly are these five, okay, there's six C's. I'm not good at math. Uh, but we're calling it these five C's that we want to look at as to a function of care for us as a leadership team, but also for us as a church. This idea of coaching and cultivating leaders, of connection to one another, of community, of understanding the need of community groups and doing life together. That's why we're offering that series, Life Shared, because we recognize that we need to do this. And we haven't really been doing that a lot for some of us. This idea of care for one another and of compassion. And you kind of see when you look at this, it's almost like a life cycle. That there's this idea of connection and community and then care and compassion. And it's this idea that we want to look at in greater detail, not just for our elders, but for all of us. That these are ways in which I believe we can tangibly care for one another. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Philippi says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Because I think we need to be honest, church, this morning, that, that this is hard. That dying to ourselves and our wants and our preferences and our agenda and our time and our money and our resources and our lives is difficult. Yes. This isn't easy. But it's worth it. I think it's worth it if we're to truly be the body if we're to truly be the church that Christ is calling us to be. Remember when I said we're going to look at the scriptures a little bit more? I want to get back to those two again uh, that John frames so beautifully. 1 John 3, 17 to 18. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, he says, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. And then again, he gives this idea of how do we love? How do we do this, church? He says in 1 John 4, 19, we love. How? Why? Because he first loved us. And so it begs us to ask the question, church, how did Jesus demonstrate his love? How did Jesus demonstrate his love? Well, last week, Gary led us through John 15, an incredible passage that helped us, again, understand what does it mean to abide? What does this word abide mean, and why is it significant for us in this season as a church? Well, in John 15, it says these words. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for friends. Church, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did. 
That's what he did. He died for you and for me and for this world. Greater love. There is no greater love than this. And Jesus demonstrated it. Philippians 2.8 says he demonstrated that he was obedient even to death on a cross. The most humiliating and horrific means of death the Roman Empire could throw at him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he cares. And so we love because he first loved us. He demonstrated what that perfect love is, what that perfect care looks like. This is the model of Jesus. This is discipleship. This is what it means, church, to be a Christian, to love and to care. I want to invite the worship team up as I pray this morning. Jesus, you have shown us what it means to love and to care. And I pray, Father, that as we enter into this series next week, as we remind ourselves, as you remind us what it means to abide, what it means to remain in you and in your love, and what does that love even look like, and how do we express that externally of what we already believe and know internally? And if we don't know what that love looks like, Jesus, for those perhaps who are watching or here who don't know you, Jesus, who haven't given their life to you, Jesus, I pray that they would understand, Lord, as, as I came to know years ago, Lord, that you love me, that you love us, that you desire a relationship to be in community because you care and you will always care. You will be there with me, with us, because your ministry of presence is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that promise this morning. So as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship this morning, God, as we continue to acknowledge your care and your love, may we not just hold that in our hearts and our heads this morning, but as we go from here, that we would live that out to a world who so desperately needs to know that you love them and you care for them. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.